How y'all doing this morning? Good. So for those who don't know me, my name is Paul. I am on staff here at The Journey. And uh, I'm over next steps. So this, this series is it's pretty cool for me because this is what I get to uh, walk with people through uh, every week. So I'm honored to be here with you and to be able to speak on today's topic. But before we jump into that, I want to take a moment for us as the body of Christ to lift up a, a brother in Christ. So for those who don't know, Pastor Ryan, your pastor here, um, his father passed away recently. So he's dealing with a, he and his family are dealing with a heavy loss. So if you don't mind, if we could just bow our heads and you can pray in your seats for him, lift up him and his family, and I'll, I'll lead us in prayer and then we could jump into it. Father, we love you. And we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're not some far off, distant God who is uh, disconnected from what it means to be human. For what it means to feel what we feel and go through what we go through, Lord. You are deeply concerned about us. You love us greater than we can ever imagine. So much so that you put on flesh and came down here. You lived as one of us. You were among us, God, so you know the struggles that we go through. So we lift up Pastor Ryan and his family uh, as they are grieving the loss of his father. Uh, we pray that you give them strength and endurance and grace and patience as they go through this process. Uh, we pray that us, as his, as his family, can be there for them, uh, to encourage them, to lift them up. Um, and while... Ryan's father is, is celebrating because he was a, a servant and son of yours. Uh, it's not necessarily the same on this side. We will, be, we will feel that, uh, the sting of him not being here. So we just ask you to give them the grace to go through that. And God, we commit this time uh, to you as we dive into your word, as we get to learn more about you. So I pray that the spirit just falls on this place and that minds and hearts are open to what is going to be said, Lord, and that you would just direct what I say so that it is honoring to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are in week two of our Next Step series. Pastor Ryan last week spoke about salvation, and this week we'll be talking about baptism. So what is baptism? I think in defining a term or a concept, sometimes it's helpful to not only understand what something is, but also what it's not. So there's a couple things that I want to highlight uh, that baptism is not before we jump into what it is. So baptism is not the means of salvation. In other words, baptism does not equal salvation. Let's look at what Jesus says himself. So in John 14:6, NIV version, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So why is Jesus the only way? What makes him the only way to have a relationship with God? And if we look at Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So what does that have to do with any of this? So through humanity's disobedience in Eden, sin was introduced. And it marred all of creation, and it fractured our relationship with God. But we serve a loving God and a just God. So there is 
there is a requirement because of his righteousness for justice. So there is a payment for sin. Just like if we do a crime here in our legal system, you do a crime, you do the time, right? So the payment for sin is death. But we also have a loving father. So the great news is that we don't have to pay that. Jesus paid for our sin on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So salvation comes through faith and the person and the finished work of Jesus on the cross. If we continue to look at Romans 10.9, it says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So baptism is not the means of your salvation. Faith in Jesus is. Two, baptism is not a meaningless tradition. I think sometimes the way that the modern church, especially in the West, is set up, uh, we can do things just out of habit and not really think about what the meaning of it is. So every, you know, month or every, you know, some churches do it six months, there's this, there's a, a push for baptism. And, you know, you have the, the loud music, you have the cheering, you have the lights, you have all this stuff, and you can just get used to, oh, it's Baptism Sunday again. And it just becomes something that's more routine and meaningless, right? Or there's others that might think that, you know, it doesn't ma matter if I get baptized or not, because it doesn't impact my salvation. So why bother? So in the West, I think sometimes we have taken it a little bit too lightly. So I want to highlight this tension of a too legalistic approach to baptism and then a too lackadaisical approach, right? So on the one hand, a too strict approach, the Greek word for baptism, baptizo, means to plunge, dip, or immerse. And some believe that if that does not happen, if you are not completely submerged in the water, that it's not really baptism. But I would like to submit to you our last beach baptism. There are two incredible stories. There was a lady who is well into her 80s who just came to know Christ recently. And we're having beach baptism. We're trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to get her baptized? How are we going to get her up these stairs and and down into the baptism pool. And then once we decided we we're going to do a beach baptism, okay, how are we going to get her from, you know, all the way down to the shore down into the water? How are we going to do this? Um, and we just, we went through idea after idea after idea, and it just wasn't going to work. Her family, nor her, nor us, to be honest, felt comfortable requiring her to do all that for this rigid version or rigid definition of baptism. So what we did that day was we took a pitcher of water and poured it on her head and baptized her in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Are we going to say that that baptism is not legit because she wasn't submerged? She wasn't dipped or dunked? Or what about the young man that was there who was a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the neck down, and he had a special wheelchair, electric wheelchair, where we couldn't even pour water over his head? So one of the pastors took that pitcher and sprinkled water on his head. Are we going to say that that's not baptism because he wasn't dipped, dunked, or submerged? So we can't be so legalistic that we create a stumbling block for somebody getting closer to or encountering Jesus. But then on the flip side, 
uh, what I discussed a little bit earlier, we can't have a too hands-off approach that, uh, or a too lazy approach that we don't stop to appreciate the significance of what baptism is. So I want to introduce us to a woman named Esther. So this is the back of a book that I'm going to tell you the title of afterwards, but it says, Are there any volunteers for jihad? Esther hand, held her hand up high. At the age of 18, she said she volunteered to die and to kill for radical Islam. Her mind raced with all the promises jihad held out for her. The more infidels you kill, the greater reward you and your family in heaven. At long last, you can finally win your father's love and approval. And if you truly love Allah, you will die for him. But two nights before she was to leave, Esther had a dream, one that changed the course of her destiny. Against all odds, Esther became a follower of Jesus. Even though leaving Islam meant her death sentence, led by her furious father, the local Muslim clerics challenged her to a series of public debates the Bible versus the Quran. Every day for a month, if she lived that long, Esther would stand before the mob to defend her newfound faith. Would God give her the words to argue against religious uh, leaders, former friends, and even her own family? Defying Jihad, this book, is an incredible story of a woman prepared to surrender all for God and whose life was transformed from one of terror to one of overwhelming love. So why do I want to introduce us to Esther? Because I think sometimes we have a small worldview and we take our religious freedoms here in America uh, for granted, right? Globally, that is not the case. If you take an outward stance for Jesus, that could very well be the beginning of the end of your physical life. And if we have brothers and sisters in Christ, because we are one body, who when they take this step of baptism, which even if it's not verbally pronouncing, I am a follower of Jesus, when you're in a place that is uh, volatile and persecuting Christians, being baptized is a clear statement that I am for Jesus. So when you make that statement, like I said, it could very well lead to your physical death. If we have brothers and sisters who are dying for making such a statement, I don't think that's something we should ever take lightly. And lastly, baptism is not your annual checkup. So what do I mean by that? If one has insurance in the means, it's probably recommended that we see our doctor at least once a year. And we do that over and over and over again until we die. So my point is that we only need to get baptized once. It doesn't have to be a recurring event. Well, what if I was baptized when I was a baby or when I was younger? I didn't understand what baptism was or... What if I want to get baptized with a friend or a family member just to show them my support? So to be clear, my point is more about your motivation for getting baptized than the number of times you get baptized. So I'm not limiting baptism, but rather asking us to examine our motives for baptism. So I gave us a little bit of framework of what baptism is not. Let's step into what it is. Baptism is an outward gesture of an inner commitment to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. So I've heard pastors illustrate baptism with a, a wedding ring example, uh, which probably is not going to hit the same way right now because I don't have mine on, <laughs> right? I, I do have a tattoo on here, though, right? So the, the ring 
is not your marriage. It's not what makes you married. The ring is an outward sign to the world of a commitment that you have made with your spouse. Similarly, baptism is an outward sign to the world that you've made an inner commitment to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. But I also want to offer a deeper thought on this outward or public sign. I'm a, a big fan of movies. Um, so if you don't know this movie, that's cool. I'll just keep on rolling. Uh, I like this movie back in the day. It was called Predator. Anybody seen Predator or any of the variations? Okay, so Predator was this alien that uh, would come to different planets, and he was this master, like, warrior who would go to different places to seek, kill, and destroy, if you will, right? So he wanted to seek out all these, the baddest warriors on the planet, and I'm going to go, you know, toe-to-toe with you. But in one of the movies in particular, Alien versus Predator, I remember this scene where so the predator wears this, this crazy, like, computer processor thing, and, like, it examines uh, what the threat level of what it's looking at, right? So it's looking, okay, you have a gun, you're a threat. We're about to fight. You got a knife, okay, you're a threat. We're about to fight. But then it, it looked at this girl who she had no weapon, so she wasn't a threat. He kept on moving. It wasn't a concern to him. I bring that up because what if this public sign this outward sign is not just for people. How many of us know that there's a spiritual realm too? What if this is a public sign to the enemy that I am no longer a child of darkness, but a child of the light, right? That you are saying that I am now for Jesus. And that is basically sounding the alarm to the enemy. Okay, this person is not this docile individual anymore because if you continue on the path right of not knowing Jesus the enemy doesn't have anything to worry about you're just going to continue until judgment day or you pass away and the relationship with Jesus is not there he doesn't have anything to worry about whereas as soon as you say yes to Jesus this person's being equipped they are now the enemy so I just want to suggest that maybe it's something more than just a public sign to people but also to uh to the spiritual realm, because uh, Ephesians 6.12 says that for we, not wrestle, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So for us to just not have these human eyes to know that there is spiritual warfare. Baptism is the sharing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when we look at Romans 6, 3 through 5, It says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into his death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we may walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So what that means is that when we go down into the water, that is death to the old man, death to the old person, uh, the old ways of thinking, the, the patterns of the world, the 
uh, religious, uh, not religious, the political affiliations that we have that sometimes override or clash with kingdom ethics. All of those things now are dead. You are a citizen of the kingdom when you come up out of the water and you should be walking in the newness of life. So it, yes, it's very countercultural. Um, and wherever it does clash, and I'm not going to even act like it's easy to walk this out, it's not. But that's why we have the Holy Spirit to help empower us, uh, for us to be able to be in the likeness of his resurrection. It's the Spirit that's powering us to do that. Then lastly, uh, baptism is uniting believers in one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Holy Spirit we were all baptized into one body, spiritually transformed and united together. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Holy Spirit, since the same Holy Spirit fills us all. Being baptized into one body means death to self. We live in a hyper-individualistic society that is constantly telling and teaching us, it's all about me. What can I do for self? Me, 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 me. How can I progress in my career? How can I attain more power or maintain the power that I have? How can I get more stuff? How can I enhance my image? So being baptized into one body means that we have left the self-centered life and we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for others. We love, we encourage, we serve, we correct one another, we confess sins to one another and carry one another's burdens. We fellowship and show hospitality. We care for the widow, for the orphan, for the immigrant. We live for others, just as Jesus did. So now that I've given you all these points of what baptism is and what it isn't, has that helped clarify or affirm anybody's understanding of baptism in here? That's good. So sometimes a point-by-point -point explanation doesn't uh, land right or hit right. So I'm going to end with a, a story, God's story with his people. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. Exodus 3, 7, and 8 says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a land that is good and spacious, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. So God saw his people suffering and dying. And he said, I'm going to go rescue them. So through a miraculous work of God, the Red Sea was parted and they were saved. And on the way to the promised land, they are learning to trust God for everything. Baptism is our exodus moment. So just like the Israelites back in Egypt, God sees our suffering and our death. He sees our fractured relationship with him due to sin. So he came down to rescue us by sending Jesus. And through a miraculous work on the cross, we are saved. So just like the Israelites, you have one shore over here that is Egypt, bondage, slavery. They go through the water. It's not the water that saved them. It's a miraculous work of God. So as you're going through the water, there's this pivotal moment where you can look and say, bye to slavery, bye to Egypt, bye to bondage of sin as you are looking now to this other shoreline where the promise is, where the inheritance is, as we are walking in a newness of life through Jesus Christ. And on the way, 
after we leave the water, on the way to the promise and that inheritance, we are learning to trust God for everything. Amen? Uh, there's, a, there's a guy named N.T. Wright. He's a, uh, like a New Testament scholar, author, speaker, super accomplished. He has a, a short four to five minute video on YouTube where he explains way better than I just did how Paul, the Apostle Paul's understanding of baptism is very much framed through the lens of him looking at the Exodus story. If you wanted to check that out, that's N.T. Wright on baptism. So today I've talked about many symbolic elements of baptism, but I would like us to consider this. What if baptism is more than a symbolic practice? What if baptism, through the act of obedience, is an invitation from Christ to be one step closer with the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? I believe that anytime we're obedient to God, it brings us closer to him as we align with his will and his way. So if baptism is more than symbolism, if it is an invitation to be closer with Jesus, would you take it? And if that's you today, if you feel like something is nudging you to get baptized for any of those reasons that were mentioned today, I would love for you to meet me after the experience right outside. I'll be at the top of the stairs. Eyes closed and heads bowed. Maybe baptism is not what you're feeling the Holy Spirit nudging you to do. Maybe you've never submitted your life to Jesus before. Maybe you've never called on him as Lord and Savior or believed that he died for your sins and was raised to life, conquering sin and death. If that's you, I'm not going to hit you with a switch up and ask you to come up or anything. Just raise your hand so that I could pray for you. Eyes still closed and heads bowed. Maybe you are a follower of Christ, but right now, or maybe for a while, you, you felt distant with God. There was just some type of disconnect. There's a, a hardness in your heart or a, a wrestling with doing God's will versus doing your will. If that's you, I invite you to, to slip your hand up and I can include you in a word of prayer for repentance, which is not a scary word. There shouldn't be any negative associations with that word. Repentance is not getting right so that you could come to God. It's simply turning back to him. So if that's you today, you could slip your hand up and I'll include you in a word of prayer. God, we love you, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are so loving and patient, kind and merciful. Lord, we thank you that anytime we get out of step, Lord, that your patience and love is there, wooing us back to you. So help us to have humble hearts that are always in a posture, ready to receive guidance from you. Help us to be the called out community that you have called us to be. 
as people who love you and love others. We thank you for the word that was given today, Lord. I pray that we would be able to apply it to our lives and we would be able to explain it to others in a way that can lead them one step closer to you. We love you, we honor you, we give you all praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.